For just a reminder, we do record these phone calls, uh, so just that's a full disclosure, whatever you say could be held against you. Just kidding. But um, we do record the calls so that we can post them on the website for the people that cannot join us live can hear uh, us discuss these wonderful books later on. So uh, many of you know the book of the month was or is Principles by Ray Dalio. I will tell you this will be the last time I'm taking uh, a recommendation from the crowd. <laughs> I, the last book, which was two months ago, I took a recommendation from the crowd, and I couldn't even finish it. I had to cancel the book club call. So um, this was uh, very lengthy, and I didn't even realize how lengthy it was until I was with Aaron Zucker. I don't know, Aaron, if you're on the call, but I was visiting him and his wife and his new baby on the 4th of July, and we were talking about books and our favorite books, and he said, have you seen the book that you have planned for uh, August's book club? I said, no, because, you know, a lot of times I just listen to them on – in the car, and he pulls it out and he shows me it's over 500 pages. So I apologize. I will tell you that I am looking at my desk at the next three books. I've read all of them already. They're very pleasurable, and they're not nearly as lengthy as this one. So it would not surprise me if not many of you made it through. I, um, I read, I would say, 30% of the hard cover book, but I listened uh, to the audio the whole way through, and it was very challenging. So that will be the last time I, we pick something that is as lengthy and academic as this one, uh, but I do hope there are people on the call that thoroughly enjoyed the book. I did not, I, but I did learn a very valuable lesson and made a very big, significant change in my business because of it. So. Uh, I guess that's a really, really good point, you know, to, to make, and I'll, I'll jump into that now. But um, so the first half of – so this guy, Ray Dalio, is this huge, you know, very significant, has made gazillions of dollars running a company called Bridgewater, and it's – you know, and he's well-known and well-respected in the markets, you know, the stock markets and, and predicting and understanding and, and making money. So – what, what he has done is, I guess he, he calls it he's in the third uh, segment of his life, which is wanting to give back, and I completely concur and, and agree with wanting to do that. Um, and he writes down the, his work principles and his life principles and how he runs, how they've run Bridgewater all these years. And um, it's very, very, very interesting. In fact, before the call today, I was watching an interview with him and Tony Robbins because I was curious as to um, what the questions Tony Robbins was going to ask him about his philosophy and how he runs a company. And basically, in a nutshell, and we'll break it down, he, uh, he believes in full disclosure and transparency. Every meeting that he has with employees, the meetings are taped and recorded and sent out to everyone in the company, which at, I think today is about 1,600 people. So full disclosure and transparency, and I found that to be very interesting. And, and, and as I'm watching the interview with Tony Robbins, and then late, and at one point in the book, uh, or I think something I saw online, he has a 25% turnover rate because, you know, personally, and, I, and, I, and I'd love to hear from you guys on the phone, but... I mean, boy, you better be really, really, really self-confident to be able to take the criticism that they – and even he, right, so, that, so it's from the top to the bottom and the bottom to the top. And basically, it's, they, they run their business on what's called an idea meritocracy uh, where – or is that idea meritocracy? And it's basically the idea wins out. And if there's a problem in the company, you gather the people involved and um, you discuss, you know, which, whose idea is the best and which is going to produce the best results. And it doesn't matter if the idea comes from the rookie or the chairman of the board. I, I personally like, like that philosophy. What I don't like or, or what I think would be hard, you know, now I only have a few people that work with us here 
but back when I had when we had Terra Nova and there was over a hundred people, basically, you know, the, the constructive criticism that he discusses that that all of the people do in the company, and again, all those meetings are taped and recorded. I, I just felt very uncomfortable reading about this and thinking how difficult it would be to be in a situation like that. Anyone on the phone, you know, agree, disagree? What do you guys think? Thoughts? No thoughts? Hey, Beth, this is Gabe. How are you? Hey. Hi. How are you? Did you read the book? Uh, I started to. I haven't finished. I'll be very honest. Uh, So hard. It's long. Yeah. It's very long, but it's also very good. It's just you got to work through it. But it was to your point as far as recording and sharing. That's um, that's a tough pill to swallow. I, I would think for our industry. I know it'll get there probably eventually, but I don't. I don't really like that. That there's some things that should be kept in private in private conversations. That's person. Just yeah, my thought. No, that's what I thought. And, and actually, Chris Ressa. I don't know if Chris is on the phone, but we were talking about this last week. And he said, and I, I said, have you read this book? I, I'm, like, just shocked at, you know, and, and obviously the guy's very, very, very successful. Um, and Chris says, yeah, Chris said he saw a video on YouTube of one of those taped meetings. And he said he couldn't believe how the guy was dressing down one of his employees. And I tried to find that video this morning, and I couldn't find it, which is how I ended up, you know, with the Tony Robbins. But um, let me let me say this. Uh, I would say I was about a third, the first half of the book, I don't know if it's the first half, but the first section of the book, mostly, and I, and I, I think Laura Briggle, you know, I put this on Facebook. I said, try to get through the first section because that's where he talks more details about, um, you know, some of the, some of his rise, you know, to where he is now. And, and I think that is important, but if you wanted to get to his advice on how to be successful, you know, the, 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 the two sections after the first section was, you know, where the meat and the bones were. So I think I put that on Facebook, but while I, I went to my 40th high school reunion I think two weekends ago, and so I had four hours up and back to be listening to this book. And one of the things he talks about, he focuses a lot on weaknesses. So he says that you need to really learn what your weaknesses are and do what you can to improve them, which for those of you that have been uh, religious book club attendees, you know that past books we've had have completely taken the opposite track to this, right? Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone, you know, many, many other gurus in the industry and people we've listened to have said, focus on your strengths and double down on your strengths. So I think that um, it was interesting to see the complete opposite tack here where he says, you don't learn from your successes, you learn from your weaknesses. And um, I was walking on, so I listened to the book four hours driving up, and then on, I think, Saturday morning, I was, um, hold on, Josie, I can hear Marie talking in our office. Okay, so I, um, I, um, I was walking on the beach, and I was thinking, and I was listening to it in my headphones on the phone, and he was talking about what's your biggest weakness, what's your biggest frustration, and you cannot, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, which we know insanity, it won't improve. And so as I'm walking on the beach, I'm thinking to myself, what's my biggest frustration, what's my biggest weakness? And I said, you know what, I have seven properties I'm leasing, and one Sawgrass Commons, I cannot for the life of me figure out how to lease this property. It's my biggest frustration, my biggest weakness. And I said to myself, what have I done? You know, what have I done to try to lease it? Well, I've personally canvassed probably a 1,000 people over the last six months. You know, not to mention my team canvassing also without me. I've done Facebook prospecting personally and with our team. We've done Facebook ads. We've spent money on Facebook ads to drive people and prospects. We've had a tenant. We've had a, a broker party. We posted double commissions. 
We've, you know, everything, we, we've given over-the-top uh, aggressive proposals. Every, we've done everything that I could possibly think of to drive traffic and bring prospects. And I realized that, you know, what I haven't done is I haven't hired someone else, maybe someone with fresh eyes and a fresh perspective could be the person to help us lease the space. So as I'm walking on the beach, I realized I think I'm going to hire someone, another brokerage firm. And, you know, and this is from the leasing queen, right? So, wow. And I'm, like, thinking, okay, how's that going to look? How's that going to look? I can't even lease my own property. But you kind of have to put your ego aside, and we've been at this for a year and haven't been able to do it. So um, I – decided, and actually I don't think it was on the beach that I did this. I think I was driving up on the way to the reunion. I think I heard it on the, on the audio, turned the audio off, and made some phone calls and decided to do it. So um, we did that in the last week. We hired Trinity Commercial. Mike Mogerman's going to be leasing it. And, of course, you know how, how it always is. At 1 o'clock today, we're signing a lease on the property <laughs> with a prospect that we, we'd been working with. But, and I know, you know Gabe was just, uh, just spoke on the phone. This is a deal, Gabe, that died three times. So um, that's why I said to you on Facebook, you know, you never know. Sometimes uh, deals come back. So Kara's very excited. So right after the book club call, we have a lease signing. So, but I did. So that was something I would say was pretty substantial that I got out of the book, understanding and thinking about your frustrations and your weaknesses, doing something different about it. You know, maybe there's someone with a different strength or a talent that can help you. So, uh, so you know, I thought that that was a, that was pretty big for us to do that. And, and uh, just FYI, you know, sometimes, you know, you're not the right uh, person for the job. And in this case, I think we needed some new, fresh perspective. I will pause in case anyone wants to jump in there before I continue. Beth is very. My only thought with that is you're telling your story is, and I did not read the book, I'll admit that, is that was, I mean, leasing is certainly not a weakness of yours. Maybe it was more just a fresh perspective on that one particular asset. So maybe just a different approach was needed or you felt like it was the right time, but it certainly yeah. wasn't, yeah, it's well, certainly not a weakness of yours by any stretch. Well, I appreciate that. But on this, but you know, so on this asset, but I think that as much as I really didn't enjoy the book, this is a pretty big thing I got out of it, right? And so, um, and I, I, I would love, you know, other people's inputs. But let's, let's. So thank you, thank you, Barry. I appreciate that. So, you know, he, I found the guy. It was so funny to be so anal retentive and over detailed. And what was shocking to me is the whole way through, I'm thinking to myself, and I've certainly never run a company with 1,600 people. You know, the most we've had is, you know, I think at Terranova was maybe 130. But in the, in the interview with Tony Robbins this morning, he says that he hates details and is very poor with details. And I thought that was so shocking because the guy is detailed to the nth degree throughout the book. So I, I just – found that very surprising. He, um, he like I, so I'm, I'm a big believer in, in personality profile testing. So for, for, I don't know, 20 years, I've personally used something called the predictive index. I know there's Myers-Briggs out there. There's a lot of different ones. But, and I have found in 20 years, the two times that I did not follow the person, personality profile testing and hired someone and said, oh, well, this can't be true about this guy or this girl because I know him or her and I've seen him in the industry. The two times I've hired against the profile, it came back to bite me. So I believe these profiles are pretty spot on. And now before every workshop I you know, conduct, everyone in the workshop takes the profile, and I always – and people – People are shocked. They're like, how is, this, how is this so perfectly, you know, describe me? It took me five minutes to fill out. But, I, but it's important because I think it tells, it, 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 at least in the predictive index, it talks about, 
uh, focus, ambition, uh, outgoing nature, sense of urgency, level of detail. You know, and if I'm hiring a bookkeeper, I certainly want them to have a very high level of detail. If I'm hiring a leasing agent, I don't want them to have a high level of detail. You know, I want them to be very outgoing. And when I get this, these profiles, you know, if I go into someone's company headquarters and I'm going to do a workshop with 20 of their leasing agents and I get the, the surveys and three of them, you know, it says that they can't, you know, go into an ICSE cocktail party and work the room. I tell, you know, I say to their director of leasing, do you have a problem with these guys, you know, networking? And, and, and the director of leasing says, yeah, they won't, they don't want to leave their hotel room. And, and it's so, it's so very clear. So, um, he, he's a big believer of that, as I am. And, you know, and I don't, I don't think it's the be-all, end-all, but I do think it's a tool. You know, uh, many of you know Josie. She's been with me for 14 years. And, you know, we, we're the yin and the yang. I hate details. She loves details. I'm outgoing. She's not so much outgoing. You know, she just wants to come in, get her work done, and not be chit-chatting. And, and, but but we, we just learned recently, after having a facilitator look at all of our profiles in the company, where I didn't know this, is she hates to be interrupted. She likes to sit down and get her work done. I could be interrupted 43 times, you know, while I'm looking at a Starbucks lease, no problem. But that really, you know, frustrates her, and that was good to know because, you know, I, I would tend to think, well, everyone is okay with being interrupted. So learning about people you work with, work for, or who work for you when it comes to things like this, I think are, is very powerful. And But what he, he takes it a step step further, and he does something called baseball cards, which and I think I was talking to Chris Ressa about this because Chris Ressa also uses the predictive index. And I said, did you read Ray Dalio? He has these baseball cards, which basically it's, you know, Beth Azor, and then these are the, you know, she's very outgoing, hates detail. Like it's a little baseball card, and if you're walking into a meeting with ten people, they can look at each other's baseball cards. It's bizarre. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought it was an interesting idea. Because, you know, if, if you're passing around these baseball cards at a meeting and someone says, don't interrupt Josie while she's working, well, you know, good to know, but it's just a little bizarre. Any, do you guys, what do you think? Hey, Beth, Michael Brandon here. I felt like his, his baseball card idea had merit, but was kind of extreme. Like, I think it's, it's good to be transparent and know the strengths of people on your team, like, Beth's really good at connecting with local and regional tenants and prospecting, and then Steve's really good at connecting with national tenants and you know, speaking to how they look at things. And, and I think that's helpful, but the negative stuff I feel like is just maybe creating problems and, I don't know, unnecessary, uncomfortable situations, even though his intentions are good. Yeah, I agree, Michael. Thank you for giving us that input. Uh, they, he also talks about, you know, his whole big deal is once you decide how you solve a problem, it becomes a principle and you should write it down. Because if you have a problem, you guys decide how you're going to solve it, then write down the principles that led you to the decision. Because then, and then as you go, you can refine the guidelines. I did think that was interesting how I related that to our industry. And if Barry Wolf is still on the phone, you know, Barry and I did a acquisitions workshop a couple of weeks ago down here in South Florida. And one of the things Barry said, which I listened and heard, and I thought, I need to do that. He mentioned that he has clients, buyers, who have specific guidelines of, you know, they like to buy properties that have, you know, these five things. And that when they go to look at a property, they go back to that guideline and say, okay, does it check all of the boxes? Because sometimes you can fall in love with a property, and then you go against your guidelines, you know, so I like properties that are in a high-income area. I like properties that don't have out parcels in front of them and have, you know, elbow space. I like properties near hospitals and colleges. I like properties with, um, you know, that are very fully leased. 
So, and, and, and I could see how having those written down, and they're not written down, they're all in my head, but I could see how having those written down, and then as I'm going to look at a new property to buy, does this match my guidelines? I, and I, I could see the, how that could be helpful. But again, just like what Michael just said, this guy takes it really to the extreme, really to the extreme. You know, I, as I'm listening to the book, and it's, you know, Principle 14.3AB, Principle 14, I mean, it, it, was, it, it was driving me crazy just listening to it. So, um, so that was that. Uh, Barry Wolf, I don't know if you're still on the yeah. phone, if, if yep, you have I'm anything here. to add. No, I think you can go overboard. Um, no, I mean, I think having principles and having checklists and tools are great. Um, I mean, I think you can go to the extreme where it's just too much, certainly. So, yeah, I think it's kind of a right, yeah, just kind of being realistic and reasonable. But, yeah, I think it can go both ways. Yeah. You know, he talks about how he's been meditating for 40 years. I think, you know, I believe – you know, if I could get my act together, that's going to be my next business. I, I'd like, I think we, were, we will have meditation studios, you know, around the country like Starbucks. And uh, I, I want to try to get into that business. You know, I've tr I tried once, at, you know, with a group. It didn't work out. I'm still, I still believe that that's something that's coming. I think the physical fitness craze is going to turn into a mental fitness craze. So, um, you know, watch Watch. Hopefully, I can pull something off. But um, I do believe we all should meditate, and I don't even do it every day. I, 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 you know, I try to do it. I get Mario, my golfer, to do it. He's got this cool little thing called Muse, where he puts this. It looks like headphones over his head, and he can meditate for five minutes. And on his phone, it'll say how focused he was. I got that at a meditation studio, and he does that before he goes and plays golf. And the times he does it before he goes to play golf, he, he definitely shoots better. So. I do think we should all meditate, and I and and and, and you know, someone I, another author I was reading listen listening to I don't I'm not sure who it was recently, um, just says you know they uh, maybe it was uh, Damon from Shark Tank, but focusing on a goal and just you know almost like it's your mantra the goal. And I thought that was interesting. So I think I, I think people are intimidated by meditation because, well, I don't know how to do it. And, you know, and, and the number one downloaded app in 2017 was Calm, the meditation app. So, so but very interesting. But as, as anal retentive and as detailed as he is, in my mind, I think would, that his mindset would be just filled with things when he's trying to meditate. So maybe that's why he needs to meditate. But um, obviously, and I've been talking about this a lot lately, is his – I do agree 100% on the whole metrics thing and how much he believes in statistics and metrics. And, and I, some of you I know that have been watching our Facebook uh, videos, Kara, uh, you know, since she started doing the metrics – you know, non-negotiable six weeks ago, you know, listing every time she makes a cold call, every time she shows space, every time we've got someone interested. Since she's done that, and I, we just did this Facebook video, I think, a couple of days ago, her uh, results have skyrocketed. So, and I know, I know, Barry, you do stats. Uh, Gabe, if you're still on the phone, do you do your stats, your metrics of of your cold calls and showings and deals getting done? I started it because of the videos you were doing, and I've seen in the last three weeks a massive uptick. I was not doing it before. I was loosely doing it. Um, now with the notebook, I actually look at it on a daily basis. This is my goal for the day. What did I do? And then at the end yeah. of the week, I look at what did appointments, uh, showings, people bailed out, how many calls I made, and what the percentage was. And it keeps, especially in our world, since we work alone so much of the time, and things happen. And when you're on the phone and calls, kids, things happen. But when you have something to hold yourself accountable, it's made a huge difference, at least for me, in the last few weeks. Yeah, and what the book says, and it's so true, it takes the emotion out of it. So, um, yeah. you know, and I, and I don't know if there's any leasing directors on the phone, but you know, and not that I want to give them any ideas for my wonderful leasing agents, but um, when you have, and, and at Terranova, we were religious about this. So, you know, the stats took all the emotion out. 
You know, are you doing a good job or not? Are you, are you getting the results or not? And if you're not getting the results, why are you not getting the results, and how can I help you bring your stats? Is it that you're not prospecting enough? Is it that your showings aren't going well? You know, are you not converting the cold calls to showings? And, and, and again, I'm not – we did the video because I wanted basically to show – Everyone cares notebook. It's hashtags, you know, or, or hash marks, not hashtags. <laughs> hash marks in the back of the notebook. I don't want you guys doing, you know, stupid Excel spreadsheets. So, uh, Michael Dahmer, uh, you're on the phone. Are you doing your metrics? I'm Michael Brannon, I mean. Um, not, not yet. Um, <laughs> I should, though. Uh-huh. I keep track of how many calls I make. But well, I'm telling you, I, I would tell you, yeah. Kara started this six weeks ago. She had two deals on the table, one that kept crashing. That's We're going to sign hopefully today at 1 o'clock. Now she has six deals on the table. And what she said, and her goal was she. So how it started for those of you that didn't watch the Facebook video, I'm sorry we're, we're going off on a tangent here, but I think it's important. Um, she came to me and said, "It's July, and I have a financial goal. Good for her, right? 22, 23 years old. I have a financial goal. By December 31st, I want to make X." I said, "Great. So let's talk about how you get there." So we, you know, backed into. How many, you know, what's your average commission? How many deals do you need to make to reach that goal? And then we backed into what we thought were her numbers, and it came to that she had to make 55 cold calls a day. And cold calls could be Facebook prospects, canvassing, whatever. So we, we analyzed it. She finished her first month, you know, like 10 days ago. So we went, so we were analyzing it every day, and on Friday afternoons, we were very happy when we got to the end of the first month, so we could look back and look at the months. And we found out that she, was, she on average, those 20 business days, did um, 40 a day. Well, of course, if you're going to do 40 cold calls a day, you're going to get more deals, you know, more in your pipeline and then more deals on the table, right? So, uh so, Michael, I want you to start this and then get back to us, okay? You got it. But it's – it's and I gave, I'm sure you agree, once you – you know, now you're in your third week. When you're able to finish the fourth week and then look back at the months and, and call me if you want, but it's, it's clear how you – the numbers don't lie. Yeah, the there's – don't we, lie. Especially in our industry where we are trained to, to to sell and spin and talk, we can sometimes tell ourselves, I'm doing a good oh, yeah. job, I'm working hard, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But when you're just looking at numbers and saying, hey, I was supposed to contact 50 people today and I called seven, you know, yep. there's a problem right there. I'm not doing what I need to be doing. You can't lie to, you can't lie to yourself when you're looking at numbers. Right. And I know Barry Wolf does this religiously. Right. Yeah, I'm, I know there's a quote, Bill, I think it was Bill Parcells years ago had a quote, you are what your record says you are, and obviously he was referring to football, but I was equated to our business. I mean, if your stats and your income show your, if it's not where you want to be, that, that is what you are until you make the changes, until you, you do other things, until you track everything. And I had fallen off my numbers for about a couple of weeks. I wasn't tracking and I wasn't doing everything else, and it hit me. It's like, shoot, I haven't been tracking this, and I started about a week ago tracking it again religiously and my numbers went way up it's like that's all it took in reality yeah it's it's so easy and it's it's just so crazy but i can't i've been so i i've been i'm a big believer in it so i i hope everyone on the call follows it so he talks so, about so Beth, there's a yeah sorry, i was about to say there's a you've read fanatical prospecting so in that book he talks about what's called the 30-day rule yeah. Essentially, you track what you do for 30 days, and then I think it's 30 days after that, you see a drop-off, and you can make a direct connection between the two. Well, guess what? That's going to be our, uh, I think, October, November, or December book. I'm, I'm bringing that back because everyone's been asking me about that, and I know we did it, you know, a couple of years ago, but we're, we're fanatical prospecting the future book. So I, I, and it's going to play right into what we're talking about here. 
So back to Ray Dalio, he says there's a five-step process to get what you want out of life. One, having clear goals. Two, identifying and don't tolerate the problems. This is on page 274 for those of you that have the book. Diagnose the problems to get at their root causes. And he gives, he gives a role play in, in this book that, again, I, I am a tough cookie. I was uncomfortable the way he was drilling his employee. And I and I drill my people, especially students who come in, you know, with holy genes. But um, I was uncomfortable the way he was drilling his employee. Uh, the fourth step is design a plan, uh, and then the the fifth step is push through to completion, and uh, and then I guess there's a sixth step. Remember the weaknesses don't matter. Oh, remember that weaknesses don't matter if you find solutions. I thought that was interesting. So if you so those and then he spells them out with literally uh, little a to little h almost on every one of them. So if you have any question of you wanting more detail on that, page two seventy four. Uh, he talks about pain plus reflection equals progress. Now, and I would say that that's how I feel that with sawgrass, pain plus reflection equals progress. So, you know, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, he believes in the ideas, not the boss. He says so. it's an idea meritocracy, not an aut autocracy and not a democracy. So, um, you know, interesting ideas, you know, but you've got to have I just don't know any company that I'm familiar with that, you know, could do this. So I, I think that our job when we're reading is take, to take bits and pieces of, and try to translate it to what would work in our environment. But for any of you guys out there that either want to run a company with a bunch of people, uh, you know, this is one way to do it, right, one way to do it. He, he says that, look, if you had a, a disease – You'd want to go to three doctors. You could get the three doctors could give you three different ways of how to solve the problem. And then, you know, if you could get the three doctors in a room, now remember the ego of that would be impossible, but get them all in the room and they would come up with the right plan for, you know, your issue. It just, I think practically, that just seems hard to achieve for me. But it works for them, and they make trillions of dollars, so who am I to criticize? Um, <clears throat> he talks about, uh, he says, everyone reports to someone. He said, even the bosses report to investors or clients. And I, I thought that that's so true. In, in my case, with Sawgrass, I report to my partners. And, you know, so that's true. You know, everyone needs to hold some, you know, we all need to be held accountable. Um, he talks about uh, failure as a teacher. Oh, well, I thought, you know, haven't you guys heard that it takes 21 days to change a habit? Yes. Yeah. So he says 18 months. I mean, when I read that, I thought, who has time to change any habits then? I mean, 18 months. And I'm sure we all need to change some habits, but that just seems crazy. What do you guys think? Maybe for fundamental, you know, core principle changes in your life, but it, it I would, I know I've read some studies that say three weeks, some say six months, some say three months, but, you know, after eight weeks, ten weeks, twelve weeks of doing the same thing over and over, at least to people like us, I think things like that, cold calling, prospecting, taking metrics, getting grain. Uh, 18 months, it's almost like building a wall to say you can't do it unless you're willing to spend your whole life trying to change one thing. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It, it, you know, I think, and maybe, look, maybe the 21 days is not accurate, but at least it gets someone interested in trying. I read that and said, who would even want to try to change it, knowing it? I mean, there's probably 40 things I would like to change. So if I could change three at once and it takes me 21 days, that's achievable. 18 months, I don't think so. So just another thing, I, I, and maybe maybe he's right, I don't know. But, you know, like I said, he's very successful. It just was, I read that and said, oh, crap, I'm in trouble. Um, and then I'm, this is what, I really didn't like this statement. I really didn't like this statement. This is on page 426, and he wrote, 
the following words. This is this was 9.3, and it was the title of a two-page like chapter. Evaluate accurately, not kindly. And I just, uh, that's I I, don't, I think everyone can be kind. I think you can be kind and be accurate. What do you guys think? I mean, if you're sitting in front of your boss and he's just going to evaluate you accurately but not kindly, who would want to stay there? I think you evaluate yourself accurately but not kindly. I think that's different of somebody else. I think you've got to have care involved and empathy. And Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, and, and, and he does say that throughout the book that no one can – accurately evaluate themselves and i would agree with that i don't think any of us can accurately evaluate themselves and 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 i'm 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 you know the ultimate optimist so i'm way more in the camp of i'm going to double down on my strengths you know yes do i have weaknesses hell yeah i don't want to focus on those you know thank god i have josie because she can you know pick up the slack and most you know most of my detail-oriented things that I, you know, I'm constantly losing crap, you know, doing things that she's picking up the ball, thank God for her. But um, I don't know, evaluate, and, and he's talking about employees. He's absolutely talking about employees in this two-page chapter. And I, I just, I'm reading it, shaking my head saying, no way. There's not, I would not, I would never espouse to that. And that's very important when you're reading a book is it's not the be-all, end-all you know, and I think sometimes people read books and then they go, oh, I need to do all of this guy's an expert. He's an author and I should do everything he says. And I think that we've learned in the book club, there's so many different opinions on how to sell and how to network and how to run companies and how to run your own personal businesses. Uh, it's so important to, to read it and take what you can out of it and, and have and, and use it to self-assess, like I did, and and then take value from that. But not everything in every book you're going to read is going to apply to you or or have you be comfortable with it, you know, right? You have to be your own person, right? Okay. Great. He talks about don't lower the bar, and I believe that a lot, Um you know, I have these. I have issues. I have had people say to me that I need to lower my expectations of people who work with me, and I don't. You know, I don't agree with that. Or lower my expectations of people in the industry. Um, you know, I had a situation with a commission dispute once, and it was very painful and hurtful. And the person who was kind of trying to mediate it between, and and I've only had. I think that's the only time, maybe two two times in my entire 32-year career where I've had an issue. And this one person who was trying to facilitate between the two parties, um, you know, I was, I was very pained by it because I thought this person was a friend. And the person, the facilitator said, you know, you really need to lower your expectations of people. And, and I said, I'm never doing that. I'm always going to feel that everyone – is, you know, the best person ever and has the best values and is not out to try to screw anyone. So I agree with him. Don't lower the bar. We all should keep keep the bar very high, not only for ourselves, but the people that we deal with. And if they disappoint us, they disappoint us, and then we know. But I'm not going to go around lowering the bar for anyone, myself, my children, the people I work with, the people that I know. I'm always going to put them on a pedestal. And I hope, you know, we all, you know, strive to be, you know, as high as possible. And, you know, talks about audacious goals, which, you know, our next book is 10X. If you haven't read it, read it. I loved it. Um, he talked about, and I, I think this, I, I love some input on this because I think this is true for leasing agents and for people in our industry. Don't be distracted by the shiny objects. What did that mean to any of you on the phone? Because I do think we, we in sales can be distracted by the shiny objects. Nobody? Bueller. Janet, are you still on the phone? Well, I'm here. 
Okay. Have you ever been distracted by a shiny object? <sighs> like in um, being dazzled by wanting to work with somebody and yeah. finding out that yeah. they're not a match at all? <laughs> exactly. Sure. I think I think that that's so true. I think that, you know, we are – we've got our listing – and it may, maybe it's a C, you know, property. It's not an A-plus property. And then we get a call from someone, and they say, hey, we want to go open 43 locations, and, you know, we're from New York, and we have a gazillion dollars, and, I, and, I, and we stray. And we, and we go, oh, and we're not focused on the listing at hand, right? And we're on to the shiny object, and then the shiny object ends up being crap, right, like bogus. Absolutely. And I, I think, especially early in our careers, it's easy to get distracted by the shiny object. Mm-hmm. Michael, Brandon, any time, have you, that ever happened to you? Many times over, unfortunately. And how, uh, the and other, how have you, still how have you learned to not let that happen? Well, so one of them was, and my interpretation of this was, don't put the reward in front of the task at hand. So, in other words, essentially, don't let the commission blur your judgment from doing the best job you can for your respective clients or, look, you know, make some kind of compromise that would – well, any compromise, really, that might as something else. I mean, you could apply this to a whole host of things, but that was my big takeaway. And have you, how have you been able, since you said it's happened to you many times, hopefully less and less, what's your trick to, you know, kind of recognize they're a shiny object? Because sometimes they could be the real deal, right? Hands down. Um, I I think our currency is time. So, making a real fair judgment on whether this is a a beneficial use of your time, almost some kind of cost-benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. So just understand whether it's worth your time and is it a good fit for you. And can you you do the job that's required? I think that's great. And I agree agree with that, the cost-benefit. You know, I – I think that's a very good exercise to say, okay, how much time do you need to devote to this item? How many hours? What's the payoff? And, you know, is it, is it equal to, to the payoff that you, versus what you're not going to do? So I can take on this right, new the client. The risk-reward. Right, right, because here's a listing I have. I need to fill this listing. This guy's going to distract me, but it, what's the payoff? What's the risk-reward? I mean, I've had clients, and, and this is the best example I can give, where they wanted a lot of information from me that took a lot of time, and, you know, what was what was my benefit? I got to say that I was running around with a, a national tenant that never did any deals. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's national tenants, unfortunately, that's, that's one of their – intentional or unintended consequences sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as a tenant broker. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, one of, another, a couple other, com, a couple of, of, a couple other of his principles. One, he says, be, beware of the job slip. Uh, I don't know about you guys on the phone, but I do come across when I'm doing consulting all of the time where the leasing agent says, well, you know, they, they all ask me about time management. How can I improve my time management? Michael, like you said, time is our commodity, or Barry, whenever, whoever said that. Um, and, um, you know, are you the one that's meeting the architect at the space or getting the insurance, you know, and if you have a firm that has a property management division, are you helping out property management more than you should to be the nice guy? Not that you shouldn't be the nice guy and be kind, but, you know, job slip. Be careful and beware of job slip. Nine times out of ten, you know, you're, we're all, we all do stuff we shouldn't be doing. And that's why at least once a year I do 
the time log, and Michael, you know, thank you for that sheet. I'm using that sheet, by the way. But every basically documenting from Monday at 8 a.m. till Friday at 6 p.m. every 15 minutes. And every year, I do it once a year. It's very painful, very painful. By Wednesday, you're making shit up, but, you know, you get back on track. And every year, I, I find things that I'm doing that I should not be doing. And I'm supposed to be, you know, the expert at this, but I'm not because you slip into doing things you shouldn't be doing. Does anyone do do the, Michael, have you done the, the time log for the week yet? Uh, I do it constantly. You do? You don't yeah, have I mean, time on that, do you? Emotion, know? Cause that's, that would be, you know, don't do it too much. Well, I, I mean, I do it because when I feel like in a given week, like what did I accomplish? And sometimes I do it kind of in arrears. Like it's it's hard for me to to quantify, like, okay, what did I do on Friday morning? I had two conference calls back-to-back, and then I drove three markets for a period of time. And accounting for what you accomplished in a given day, there's, and I do it when I feel like I'm, I'm spending time doing tasks that aren't yielding results, and it's like a – it's an audit. So I, I do it more – once a year and specifically the sheet that that I use, I use both the, the daily one, which is every 15 minutes, and then the weekly one where I can kind of look back at the week and, and see how I spent my time. Well, how and how, what I do for that, for that the, the latter that you just said is, so my goal is the night before, like around 11, the night before, like last night, Right when I'm about to go to bed, I just put in my Outlook calendar on the phone the five things that I, that the five important things I want to get done the next day. So on today's list was not the book club and the lease signing because those are urgent and they're going to happen. But five important things, five things I want to do to move the ball ahead that could easily get avoided because it's not urgent. And then at the end of the day, I look back and say, of those five things I listed, what, you know, what did I get done or what I didn't get done? And by Friday afternoon, usually I've gotten done 18 to 20 of those important things, which makes for a very, pro- you know, profitable or, or you know, progress, progressive week. I take that a level further where the, I have those five things on a to-do list. I schedule them. That way yeah. there's just no way that I can't get them done. That's very good. I don't do that. Okay, moving on, unless anyone has a comment. We've got 12 minutes left. Producing leverage. I thought this was very interesting. He said when he's talking to a member of his team, he feels that he leverages their ability 20 to 1, and that's what he looks for. He believes that it takes 20 hours for him to sit across from one of his team members, that it takes them 20 hours to do the work for him to come in and sit with him for an hour, and he can maximize their 20 hours. And he said all leaders should do that, that there should be leverage in the relationship. And, um, you know, I find that with my interns or Kara, you know, they probably spend a lot of time showing space, prospecting, LOIs, et cetera, and then, you know, she'll come into my office and say, okay, I just had a conversation with XYZ tenant, and I have, you know, these 10 issues to go over with you, and in 10 minutes I can go yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, or this is how I would deal with it. Well, you know, she had five hours into that. So I do think as you're growing in your management of people, leveraging you being a leverage to them and their work product is, I think, a natural and progression and important. Yeah. Um, okay. I, those are, that's what I got from the book. So in summary, you know, I thought it was big because of what I decided to do with Sawgrass, I, but I thought – I didn't like that he was 
I didn't feel he was kind in his, assist, you know, in his discussion of people's failings. And, and it, it just, there's so much detail about that, recording the meetings, you know, blunt assessment, just, just I did, I, I, it was hard for me to read because I'm more of a kinder person when it comes to that. But I understand, and, I, and again, trillion-dollar company, you know, I'm, I'm like an ant on an amoeba's, you know, amoeba on an ant's butt when it comes to, you know, my company versus his company. So he's certainly doing something right. But, um, you know, not my favorite book. But, again, you know, hopefully Mogerman's going to lease the crap out of Sawgrass, and I got something very valuable out of it. Before I talk about some other announcements, does anyone else have anything to say about Principles by Ray Dalio? No, and whoever recommended the book is not on the call. So, you know, shame on that person. But they'll listen to it. They're probably going to disagree with everything I said. A lot of people, a lot of people recommended this book. So, so a couple announcements. September 14th is the next book club, The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. I have listened to it, and I don't think I've read it, but I listened to it. I loved it. And it's 10Xing your goals, your work. Your ethic, everything. I loved it. I love. He's my new. I'm cheating, cheating on Gary Vaynerchuk lately with Grant Cardone. So, loved that book. Uh, October 12th's book is the art, the subtle art of not giving a you know what. And I've heard again. This was a recommendation. I hope I'm not disappointed. And then in November we're going to do fanatical prospecting and December selling the invisible. So those will be all listed on the website. Um, a couple other announcements, September 20th, those of you that are in South Florida, we have the first annual South Florida Independent Retailers Awards. Very exciting. We're nominating mom-and-pop retailers. It's going to be like an Oscars Awards. We have five categories with six nominees each. So, so exciting. We have like 25 sponsors. We think we're going to sell out at 300 people. So if you are in South Florida, uh, check this out. We have a Facebook page, South Florida Independent Retailers Awards. For those of you going to ICSC in two weeks, or not even two weeks, right, next weekend, August 26th to 28th, come see us. Stop by and say hi at our booth. I do have a roundtable uh, leasing through Facebook and other in social media, so come. Gabe, come so you can help me lead the roundtable. And then uh, for those of you that are listening that might be in the southwest area, on, on September 26th I'll be in Phoenix doing a, a, like a teaser workshop, just like a couple hours. Um, you know, Michael's seen me in action in Boston, so this is something like that, but in Phoenix. And then if you like me, go to my YouTube and subscribe, Beth Azor. There's about 40, 40 to 45 videos on there. So I hope you guys enjoyed this, had fun. Thank you, everyone, that gave input, and uh, keep reading. So next book, The 10X Rule, Grant Cardone, September 14th. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.